Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. It's been said that a prerequisite to developing a strong, healthy, and biblical sense of identity is a willingness to identify elements of a false identity and replace them with a new one. The natural question then is, how? With so many influences telling us what's true and what's not, it can feel overwhelming to decode truth from lies. In our current series, Liar, Liar, we'll take a look at lies we tend to believe while discovering truth that frees. You're welcome here. This is a safe place. Let's continue the upward journey. We're starting a new series today called Liar, Liar. Anybody ready to talk about Liar, Liar? I'm going to be honest with you. The staff, sometimes the staff is younger than me, and sometimes I hold them back a little bit. They'll, they'll put out an idea, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm just not too sure. That's pushing it a little bit. They held me back on this one because you see the Liar, Liar. They did a great job on that. I literally wanted a picture of burning pants. And the first one, I don't know if they probably don't have it up there, but I wanted a picture of burning pants. And they said, Pastor, you're going a little far with that one. So they, I didn't get my way about everything, just so you'll know. We're in a new series called Liar, Liar. And we're talking about the lies we believe and the truth that sets us free. Have you ever believed a lie and paid a price for it? Have anybody, I bet all of us at some point in our lives, have believed a lie and really paid the price for it? There's a lie that I believed of all people my mother told me. Now, my mother, I love her, and she's a good mother, but she told me a lie growing up. You see, we had a swimming pool in the backyard, and, and when I was in middle school, my summers were spent. We would get up early in the morning, and we would swim. We'd swim all day long, so we would swim till about noon, and my precious mom would, would cook for us. Do any of you old enough to remember Gino's frozen pizza? How many remember Gino's? Can anybody say yay for Gino's, all the old people? Yay for Gino's. She would, about noon, she would make a Gino's frozen pizza, so we would sit out there by the pool and eat pizza, but as soon as lunch was over, there was a stern warning. Some of you know where I'm going. You cannot get back in that water for 30 minutes, or you will die instantly. I'm telling you, moms of the 60s, 70s, and 80s must have had a meeting together and come up with that. Do you know that is absolutely untrue? The Mayo Clinic had, I I looked it up and the Mayo Clinic says there is zero evidence. The thinking was that as you were digesting, it was pulling blood away from your limbs to your digestive system and you may drown. You know, moms tend to think worst case scenario. It was an absolute lie, and when I found that out, I actually read it in a great book by Craig Groeschel called Winning the War in Your Mind. I'd like to recommend that to you. I'd like to recommend a second book uh, called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Two books you need to get and read. I've read both of those books in prep for this series, and I've got some good quotes from them that I'll sprinkle out through it in the next uh, three weeks. But that lie cost me hours of swimming. I mean, I missed out on two and a half hours of swimming every week because I believed the lie. That was a funny one, and it's not that big a deal for me to miss out on a little bit of swimming, but some lies that you believe are destructive. Many lies that you believe that we believe can destroy our lives. I want to start this series with a poignant statement and a sobering statement, and I want you to hear this. Anything that you believe as truth will affect your life as if it were true. 
Think about that. If you believe it is true, it has an effect on your life even as if it were true. If you accept it and you believe it. You understand that? Lies are incredibly destructive. Now, I'll have people come to me sometimes and say, Pastor, I'm just a big problem. What I want you to understand in this series is you are not the problem. It's the lie that you're believing that is the problem. Do you understand that? You ever been in an argument with your spouse? I've seen more of you argue than that. In church. One of our values at Upward is authentic relationships. And I'm just not so sure how authentic you people are sometimes. Any of you had an argument with your spouse ever? Can I see your hands? Have you ever, now let's just be honest, and I'm really stirring the pot right now. Have you ever thought that they were the problem? Man, I've just created a problem. <laughs> now, how many on the other side say, yeah, I thought, I thought they were. Just go ahead and be honest. Have you ever thought they were the problem? Many times I've sat down with married couples and they say, he's the problem, she's the problem. One of the best things you can do as a married couple is to externalize the problem and say, I'm not the problem, you're not the problem. You make the problem the problem. Can everybody get this with me? Can you just say something? I know you don't like to repeat things, but I I really don't care. Um, (laughs) Can everybody say, the problem is the problem? I'm not the problem. The problem's the problem. People say sometimes, uh, I've got this problem, and the problem turns out to be a bad habit. Can I tell you again, your bad habit is not the problem. It's the lie you're believing that fuels the bad habit that is the real problem. Can you say it with me again? The problem is the problem. One more thing. The lie is the problem. You would not try, if you were thinking correctly, you would not try to kill a tree by cutting off a branch. Do you understand? When you prune a tree, it grows back. And many times, many of our efforts to prune bad habits or to prune even people and relationships from our lives don't really solve the problem. Have you ever pruned the problem in your life and it just grew back again? Anybody ever done that? Remember authentic relationships? Have you ever pruned a problem and it looked better for a little while and then all of a sudden the problem grew right back? That's because you haven't dealt with the real problem. The lie is often, many times, most of the times, the root of the problems that are in our lives is that we have believed something that was not true And it literally became true in our lives. It affected us as if it were true. Jesus said this in John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you know truth, you are liberated. You are brought into freedom when you understand what is really true. And the opposite is true as well. If you believe a lie, you will enter into bondage. Do you understand that? Now, where do lies come from? We know where they come from. They come from Satan. And you say, do you really believe there's a Satan? We're going to talk about him a good bit today. And in this series, I believe there is an actual devil. There is an actual angel of God who was created by God named Lucifer. A bright, shining, son of the morning, powerful angel who was kicked out of heaven because of his rebellion. And I believe he's actually real. You say, how do you believe that? Well, I believe what the Bible says first of all. Beyond that, I can tell you, I see evil in the world that does not have a human source. I see evil in this world that is supernatural. 
And then when I try to live a right life and a good life and others try to live a life, we find ourselves opposed by a being that is very smart, very crafty, very cunning. So I believe there is actually a devil. And I believe lies come from him ultimately. In John 8, again, in verse 44, Jesus said this, and he's speaking to a group of religious people, by the way. He says, For you are the children of your father, the devil. People think that Jesus was just this sweet little guy who never offended anybody. He looked straight at a group of church people and said, You're from the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies originate with Satan. That's where they come from. Now you say, how did Satan become a liar? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to tell you, how did Satan become a liar? Again, he's an angel of God. He's created by God, and that's wonderful news for you and me. Some people have the mistaken idea that we have a dualism in the universe, and what dualism would have us believe is that you have a very powerful force for good on one side, and you have an equally powerful force for bad on the other side. That's not how it is. Evil came from a created being in the first place. God created Satan and he turned to evil. He's under God's feet. He's under the feet of Jesus. And God can speak a word and drive him away. That's good for me and you to know that we serve the only ultimate power is for good. That's why we can say good will always triumph over evil because our creator is good. Satan rebelled against that. The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, prophesied and spoke about the devil and his fall. And this is what he said, Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah wrote, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Now, first of all, it said, for you said to yourself, Any of you talk to yourself? I remind you again, authentic relationships. Any of you talk to yourself? Any of you talk to yourself out loud? Okay. Do you ever just speak to yourself and say, hey, you got to get it together? Hey, you got to press on through this day. Do you ever say other things to yourself? Self-talk is powerful. And self-talk can be powerfully destructive if your self-talk is lies. If you're saying things to yourself about yourself, oftentimes you're the worst critic you have. And you're talking to yourself throughout the day. The Bible said Satan began by talking to himself and telling himself things that weren't true. He said, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I'll climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Do you hear that? I want to be like God, so I'm going to assert myself to be like God. That was absolutely a lie. What he's saying, the lie he believes is God's holding something back from you. God's not been good enough to you. And if you will just assert your will... You can ascend to a higher place to where you can be 
God for yourself. You understand that's a lie? I've tried being God for myself. Didn't work. I've tried leading my own life. Didn't work. The whole direction of sin and evil in our lives come from when we think we can be our own gods. If we're our own gods, we can invent our own standards. If we're our own gods, we can define good and evil for ourselves. I tell you, that's a destructive path to be your own god. Now, some people I've seen a bumper sticker. You ever seen a bumper sticker like this? And if you have it on your car, I think it's a good bumper sticker. It's okay. I know what you're trying to say. Have you ever seen one of them that says, uh, God is my co-pilot? That's a nice thought. That doesn't work, though. Any of you remember those old driver's ed cars that had two steering wheels? You get in the car and the guy beside of you or the lady beside of you who was the teacher had a steering wheel too. I've tried that with God. I've tried to steer and say, God, I'm going to give you a steering wheel too. That didn't work either. By the way, when I was in driver's ed, I drove the car into a ditch with my instructor. And he was not a very nice guy. He said, that's the first time, kid, in 20 years I've been in a ditch. Even with his independent control, he couldn't keep me out of a ditch. Yeah. Showed him. He messing with me. I drive where I want. If I say that's a road, it's a road. Doesn't work with God. God doesn't need to be your co-pilot. You need to get out of the car and then get back in the back seat. And let him drive. That's where real freedom is. Just saying, God, you're in control. Satan cannot be content. He believed the lie. God's holding something back from you. And if you assert yourself, you can actually be like God. Satan is powerful, yet Satan is predictable. He's powerful, but he has a very limited playbook. Jesus said he is the father of lies, and lies are a part of his character. And he became a liar, and the way he seeks to dominate our lives is to speak lies into our lives so that we will follow them and believe them. Let's jump all the way back to the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. God created this beautiful, wonderful wonderful garden that was like a playground with the best food, fruit of every kind, And God was so good to Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve. And I believe the Garden of Eden is literal. I believe Adam and Eve were literal human beings. They really existed. Here's what God said. Now, I want you to hear this carefully because you're going to need it. We're in class today and we're going to learn something today. And you're really going to need to hear what God said. But the Lord God warned him. He spoke to Adam and he said, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Now, God said, now, now it's on the board class, You may... Freely eat the fruit of... Let's do it again so you get it. Because you're going to need it in a minute. There's going to be a test. You may eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. God said, have fun guys. Enjoy this. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to... Isn't that easy? We make it so easy for you. The answers are on the board. How many trees could they eat from? 
How many could they not eat from? In God's will, there are more things you can do than you can't do. There are many more thou shalts than thou shalt not. People think we're in here. People driving by that have never been in here or been in church think all those poor repressed people. They're in there hearing a message about all the stuff they can't do. And if you go down there to Upward Christian Fellowship with those crazy people, you won't be able to do this and you won't be able to do that. And if you try to serve God, He'll just take away everything fun from you and He wants to repress you and to restrict you to the point that you just can't do anything but go to church and read your Bible and that's it. Sad to say, if you go some places, that's what you hear. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. God opens up the whole story of the Bible by saying, get in this garden and have a ball. Eat from all the trees. Enjoy everything in this garden, but there is a place that you should not go, and there's a tree from which you should not eat. There's only one thing. I want to say to Adam and Eve, you had one job. <laughs> one job. But yet that's our nature. We're drawn to the forbidden. A pastor one time did an experiment. He was having a birthday party for his son. And they invited several boys from the neighborhood. He's got about 10 boys in his backyard. He's got a fenced-in backyard. He has a swing set. He has a slide. He has all kinds of toys and things that boys like to play with. And he puts them all in the backyard. And he tells them. He does a Garden of Eden-like experiment. He said, boys, you can swing on those swings, slide on the slide. You can throw football. You can play baseball. I've got all this equipment here. Have fun. Enjoy this. He said, there's just one thing I don't want you to do. I don't allow any boys to spit in my flower bed. He goes back in the house and watches out the window. And they all just sort of look around. And they figure out where the flower bed is. And they're like... He said he looked out five minutes later and they're all standing around the flower bed. And he said he waited, and finally, one of them, right in the flower bed. Isn't that how we are? We're drawn to the one thing we're told not to do. And Adam and Eve were. One thing. I'm going to give you a test. God said, you may... See, it's not on the board now. <laughs> you may freely eat of... You caught me. Even I had to look back at it. Of every, freely and every. That's the answers to the quiz right there. Freely and every. Now, Satan comes in. Genesis 3.1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Satan entered in a serpent and came in the form of a serpent and spoke to Eve. One day he asked the woman. This is Satan speaking. Did God really say... Do you hear the tone of that? Did God, don't be reading ahead, listen to me now. <laughs> Y'all want to pass this test, aren't you? Did God really say, have you ever heard anybody say that about somebody else? Really? Did God really say, now let's look at what he said. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Students, how many see something wrong with that statement? 
Did God really say you must not eat any of this? From the very beginning, God has tried to portray Satan as a repressive guy who doesn't want you to have any fun. He's saying, don't eat any of this. God, did God really say you shouldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden? Lies often begin with insinuation. You know what an insinuation is? An insinuation is when you say something without really saying it. You ever been, in, been around anyone or been in a conversation with someone and they insinuate something about somebody else without really saying it? That's what the devil did. Did God really say? You're not supposed to be eating of any of these trees? Insinuation. I looked up the word insinuation to define it. And this is what it means. It means it had two definitions. The second of which I'd never heard before. The first one is to suggest something indirectly. And the second definition surprised me. Insinuation means to slowly slide into position. He's positioning the lie by gently questioning the character of God. You hear that? Did God really say this? Now, this is Eve's response. Let me say this first of all. Don't insinuate. We believe in authentic relationships, again, at Upward, right? That means if we got something to say, we're going to say it. Now, some of you love that part. <laughs> I'm just going to say what needs to be said. Wait a minute. Back off. Turn it back a little. In love. That means right time, right place, right spirit. Some of you need to be pushed to talk a little more. And some of you need to be pushed to bite your tongue once in a while. Truth and love balances us out. Here's a great statement. Not everything that's said is true. Not everything that's true needs to be said. Amen? So... Before you say something, ask yourself, is this true? And does this need to be said? If it's true and it needs to be said, then say it in love. But say it directly. Don't insinuate. Don't twist. Don't suggest things. I believe this. It's, it's cowards that insinuate. It's those who can't stand behind what they say that insinuate. And that's how lies begin. Now, Satan comes and he says, did, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? And Eve says this in Genesis 3-2. She said, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Of course. It's only from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Still doing pretty good, right? God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, does anyone see a problem with Eve's statement now? Students? God said, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except one, and you shall not from that tree. 
Eve says, you must not eat it or even touch it. What's wrong with that? She added a commandment. Don't eat it or God never said not to touch it. Religious people are really good at adding commandments. Can I get an amen? We are great at church at adding commandments. We think God didn't say enough. We think the Bible is so old, we have to reinterpret it for all our friends. Tell them, God didn't say this, but this is what he meant. We add stuff all the time. You ever been around one of those Christians? They are the morality police for the whole world. They see something they don't like, you're under arrest. Or you broke the law. Sometimes people want to call you into question over their preferences instead of what God said. You don't have to be bound by everybody's preference. Can I get an amen? Amen. You don't have to worry so much about what Sister Susie thinks. You better be concerned about what Jesus thinks and following God's word and his standards. Can I get an amen? And if you think you're the morality police for the whole world, Jesus said, God said, you are salt and light. You're not the police. You're not making arrests. You're not putting people in jail. Let me give you a good statement. Watch out for yourself. Police your own stuff. Clean up your own lies and let everybody else serve Jesus. You're not called to straighten everybody out. Amen. We're great at adding commandments. The Pharisees that Jesus gave a hard time to, they were experts at adding commandments. God said, don't work on the Sabbath day. Set aside a day and don't work. They added hundreds of commandments to that one. You know what the Pharisees did? I'm glad I got my chair here. The only reason I have this chair up here is so I can move it around. You ever notice I rarely sit on it. I just like to move it. But uh, the Pharisees had this rule that God said don't work on the Sabbath day. One day a guy got up from the table and he pulled his chair out on the ground and it left a mark in the, a mark in the ground in the dirt. And a religious guy came along and said that looks like a ditch. You've dug a ditch on the Sabbath day. So they added that. So you know what they had to do on the Sabbath day? This is real. They had to pick a chair up and move it and sit it down carefully without making a mark on the ground. You see, insinuation leads to exaggeration. You make God out as harsh. You make God out as someone who is repressive. You make God out to be one of these thou shalt not gods all the time. And Eve began to exaggerate what God actually said. And that is destructive. Exaggeration can turn the truth into a lie. You can take something that somebody said and take it to an extreme that they never said. They came to you with a concern and they were really humble about it. But by the time you tell somebody else about it, they jumped on me. Jumped all over me and told me this. You know what I'm talking about. Insinuation leads to exaggeration. Now, Eve has now made the tiniest movement in Satan's direction. Satan's like a fisherman here. Any fisherman here? Anybody like to fish? Anybody good fisherman here? Satan has put the hook out there, and Eve has just started to nibble the hook. 
And now Satan knows he's got a bite. And all good fishermen know there comes a time when you've got that fish, you've got to set the hook. You've got to pull that hook in its mouth so you've really got him hooked. Satan now sets the hook. Listen to what he says. When he saw the tiniest movement of Eve to a lie, he went all out. Verse 4, you won't die. God had said plainly to Adam and Eve, the day you eat the fruit of this tree, you will die. And now Satan is blatantly opposing God's word, blatantly calling God a liar. He said this in verse (coughs) 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Anybody seeing something happen here? What was Satan's lie? God's holding something back from you. And if you will assert your independence, you can be like God. He is perpetuating the same lie that he believed again to Eve. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. One of the saddest statements in all the Bible is verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She believed the lie. And she and Adam and the human race entered into sin Because insinuation took her to exaggeration. And exaggeration always leads to deception. She's now convinced of a lie. She's convinced that God hasn't told her the truth. And if she will just assert herself independence against God, that she will become like God, knowing good and evil. And Genesis 3, 7 says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Deception leads to shame. For the first time, they felt naked and they ran and hid from God. That's the, that's the path that a lie takes you on. An insinuation leads to an exaggeration. An exaggeration leads to deception, and deception leads to shame. All of the enemy's power in our lives come from his ability to lie to us and to get us to believe lies. You realize Satan has no authority over you. You realize Satan has no power over you. The only power he has is to suggest things to you that aren't true to plant things in your mind and to get you to self-talk through those things and to follow those lies. And when you do, you'll be shamed. You know, I just hate the devil. He will lie to you. If he's tempting you to pornography, he'll tell you everybody's doing it. And then after you fall into it, he'll say, you're the only one. Great preacher named Adrian Rogers used to say this. He said, The devil will kick you in the shins and blame you for limping. That's how he is. Every week, and, and I've got to close here. Where'd the time go today? I'm having so much fun, the time's gone. Uh, Every week of this series, we're going to do three more weeks, and every week we're going to expose a lie that one of us have believed. Today I'm going to start with one of mine. I say one of mine because there are many. But a lie that was uncovered in my life that was detrimental and destructive to my life, I'm going to share, and we're going to share uh, video or maybe some live testimonies for some people over the next three weeks. 
the first church that Alexa and I ever went to to pastor. We got married in, in July of 1994, and then in September of 94, we were sent to a small church of about 50 people, and it was hopefully going to be the first church that I ever pastored. And I was coming out of Bible college. I was coming off the uh, mission field. I'd worked as a missionary in Central America a couple of years, and we got married, came home, and they sent us to this church of 50, and I was sure that I was the next Billy Graham, that as soon as I started preaching in the United States, I'd have crusades everywhere and millions of people would come to Jesus and it would be done. So uh, I was just sure that I was just a great preacher. So they sent us to this church and the way you did this in that day and still do in some places, you go to the church, you preach a sermon and after the sermon's done, they vote on you. No pressure. And what you do if you're trying out for a church, you get your best sermon together, you get the very best thing you've ever preached, you get the one that worked and you take it there and you preach it. Well, the problem here was they asked me to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. So I had to take my best one and the second best. And the second was a long way down from the first. I had to preach twice. Sunday night after I preached, they had the people there, and the members of the congregation took a vote on whether to have us or not. Well, now we left, and they took the vote. A couple days later, the superintendent called us and said, well, they voted for you not to come. Now I know you're absolutely shocked. Aren't you? You are shocked. How in the world could anyone not love that guy and his wife, right? Don't you feel that way? Please tell me you're feeling that way because I'm getting really insecure up here right now with you laughing. (laughs) Seriously, uh, it's funny, but uh, that wounded me to get rejected by the first one. Imagine that. Very first church I went to preach at said, nope, move on. And I believe the lie you're never going to be good enough. Now, when I said that, 75% of you said, watching online, you, blo- you bought it too. How many of you have ever heard in your head, you're just not good enough? How many? You're just not good enough. You're never going to cut it. As a spouse, as a Christian, as a parent, in your profession, you're just not good enough. And, and I began to really struggle in ministry. You know, we came to a church, another church uh, we went to and were there for three years, and then we came to this church, so we've only pastored two churches. And, and we've seen some wonderful things happen. But I can tell you this, in the midst of wonderful things happening and the church growing, I still felt like I was never going to be good enough. You should have just ridden home with me one Sunday after church. My poor wife, would you give her a hand, please? She's back there. Would you give her a hand? She had to listen to me bleed. Oh, that stunk. That's terrible. I don't want to go back next week. You're not good enough. And here's where it really got tough, is when people would leave the church. And, and let me just tell you this about a church. A growing church always has people coming and has people leaving. There are always people leaving. Because this church is not for everybody. Do you understand that? Not everybody's going to be, not everybody's called to be a part of this church. There are people that are called to be a part of the bridge and Hendersonville Church and First Baptist Church and Mud Creek and other churches, Biltmore, all churches around this area. There are people called to those churches. You're here, I hope, because you feel called here. 
But there are people who aren't, and they leave. But because of the lie I had believed, I thought every time someone left, it was my fault. I sat down with a counselor and a friend who attends the church here. In fact, she's on our board here at the church now. And Alexa and I went out with her and her husband to lunch, and she looked at me. She said, what's wrong with you? She's just that kind of person. She can see when you're struggling, even though you try to hide it. So if I'm ever around her, I try to put on sunglasses and a baseball cap so I can hide, you know. She knows every time I'm, if I'm any upset at all, I told her this week I was going to be talking about her. She said, what's wrong with you? And we were at lunch in a restaurant, and I said, you know, this person left the church, and I'm just sure it's my fault. And you know how you just want somebody to give you a good consoling word and to say, it'll be okay. I didn't get that. She said, Andy, you're not that important. said, thanks a lot. I really needed that. I feel better now. Yeah. She helped me to see that if I was basing people on coming to church on my performance, that not only did I believe when they left I was doing something wrong, that I thought all the people that stayed did so because I was doing something right. And that hurts to admit I had to get that lie out of my life, and here's where we're going for the next three weeks. You ready for this? This is going to outline this series for the next three weeks. You must do three things. You must reveal the lie. You must replace the lie with the truth, and you must repeat the truth. Your brain will actually change when you do this. The chemicals in your brain will rearrange The Bible said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your brain will renew itself physically when you reveal the lie, replace the lie with the truth, and repeat the truth. It's as easy as the directions on a shampoo bottle. You ever read the directions on a shampoo bottle? Let me just tell you, there are actually directions on a shampoo bottle. If you actually read those directions, I want to meet you. (laughs) And they're very simple. Lather, rinse, repeat. Who needs that? Some of us do. This is just as simple. Reveal, replace, and repeat. Beautiful thing, and I've got to quit. This message is going on long today. But it's okay. You guys are going to be really nice in the parking lot, right, with the people coming in. Genesis 3, 8, and 9. When the cool evening breezes, this is back to the garden, after they sinned, cool evening breezes are blowing. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. First time, they hid from God. Believed the lie, entered deception, hid from God. And I love this. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? God came looking for him. These people, the day I found Jesus, nope, he found you. He came looking. Genesis 3.15, God already had the solution, same chapter. He told the serpent, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Who's this? The serpent, Satan. God said, from this woman will come somebody. And this somebody is Jesus Christ. And he said, Satan, you're going to strike out at him. You're only going to catch his heel. 
But when you catch his heel, he's going to step down and crush your head. That's what happened at the cross. Satan bruised his heel and Jesus crushed his head forever. He crushed the liar. And he destroyed the power of the lie in your life. Some of you have been broken. Anybody been broken? Anybody got any scars? Have you ever broken a, a plate or a bowl or something that was precious to you? I always give my brother-in-law a hard time because my sister had a beautiful bowl that my grandma used for years and years and years. And one day he was taking it out of the counter and he busted it in pieces. And I know it's not very Christ-like, but I still tell Jimmy once in a while when I need something on him, yeah, you the guy that broke my grandma's bowl. I'll have to repent of that later, but uh, you ever felt like a broken bowl? Felt like you had a chip or a break in your life? I love this story of a Japanese art called Kintsugi. Can you say Kintsugi? You've learned a little Japanese today. You never expected that to happen when you came here. Kintsugi. You know what it is? It's the art of taking a piece of pottery that has been broken and putting it back together in a way that makes it a piece of art. They actually take it, they save the pieces, they mixed, they mix the dust of gold, silver, or platinum in with lacquer. And they actually put the pieces back together and paint over them with lacquer and cure that thing. And it turns into a work of art. Look at a bowl. Isn't that gorgeous? You can still see the scars, but the scars are now a part of the art. When I think about Kintsugi, I think that's what Jesus does. In all the brokenness and the lies, he puts gold in those places. And when people look at us, they can see some scars, but they see the beautiful masterpiece that God is creating out of us. Isn't it good to know if you've got a broken place in your life, let the Lord come in and heal that with the truth. He can. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this day, for this time. And we ask you in your mighty name to do what only you can do. If you're here today and you've believed a lie, you to say right now, Jesus, come in and replace that lie. Jesus, show me the lie that I've believed. Show me the truth and help me to repeat that truth and believe it for the rest of my life. If you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus, it's as simple as this. Jesus, I surrender to you. I want to be in the back seat and you in the driver's seat. I want you to lead my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. You can pray that prayer today here or online. And invite him to lead your life. Amen. Amen. I want to bless you this morning. You ready to be blessed? We believe in the power of spoken blessing. I bless you with this statement. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You're going over the next three weeks. God's going to reveal lies to you that you've believed. You're going to replace those with his truth. And make that a daily part of your life. Can I get an amen? You're going to be blessed as you confess truth over your life. Now I send you out in the power of the Holy Spirit, commissioned by God to take Jesus to your world. Before you go, pray for Pastor Matt and Rachel. Uh, 
they had a sudden unexpected death in their family last week and uh, they had to rush down to Florida I want to say thanks to this team Garrett leading this team and pulled together and rearranged things last minute we appreciate them so much we want to be in prayer for Matt and Rachel as they and their family process some grief would you do that would you pray for them this week all right love y'all so much be blessed go take Jesus to your world love you thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey if you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock North Carolina you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.